0: We're going to actually make some headway going through Matthew 21. And then we're going to stop at a certain place. Now before we start, I'm going to start at verse 1 and go to verse 16 and then stop. And then we're going to go to Psalm 8. Okay? Before we do do that, I'm just going to give you a little... Overview of something to look for when we're going through Matthew 21 and 22. Now I've told you this that it's 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 one week before Jesus is going to be crucified, and the the message here is that um, the uh, the call of God, the anointing of God. On Israel is going to be transferred to the Gentiles. And so he's going to be uh, saying things that give the reasons. And he's got number of parables that he does to show why God is turning away from Israel. It is a temporary thing. In uh if you don't know anything about Daniel's 70th week, there's 70 weeks, to be example, seven times, 70 times 7 is 490 years That is going to be happen. And there's a 70th week, and there's, a difference of, there's differences of interpretation of that. But the, the concept of the general belief in that is that at the end of 69 weeks, is in time from Daniel's prophecy from the time of carrying away of Israel into Babylon from the point of time to 69 weeks later on the calendar comes to when Jesus is going to be crucified. That in itself is just mind-blowing. And then there's the 70th week and the, the, the belief is, and there's other, there's other, you know, interpretations, but one of the belief is, is Daniel's 70th week is put on hold and the times of the Gentiles, the times of Jacob's trouble is put on hold and the times of the Gentiles begin. And so Daniel's 70th week is going to happen at some time. But meanwhile, we're in the times of the Gentiles. So, Daniel's 70th week. Now, Jesus refers to Daniel's 70th week in in Matthew 24. He actually refers to the abomination of desolation, which happens during Daniel's 70th week. And so that alone says how important it is. But anyway, uh, meanwhile, there's a transfer, there's a transition from Israel to the Gentiles. And what this two-day period in Matthew 21 and 22 is all about, and there's the parables that explain why God's turning away from the Gentiles, or turning away from Israel to the Gentiles. But there's also four themes that are revealed in uh, Matthew 21 and 22. And the four themes of this, the restoration of the priesthood. We talked about this last week and before for that matter. The restoration of the priesthood to the Gentiles. Now, and I told you this one time, my wife says to me, what do you mean to the Gentiles? When did, when did the priesthood was ever given to the Gentiles? Well, it goes back to when uh, Esau... And Jacob, and Jacob had the pottage. And Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of pottage. That goes back to the first prophecy in the Bible, which was to the devil. And that was God prophesying to the devil, says a seed is going to come from woman. And he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. Of course, the devil sets out a plan to stop that. And you see kind of a pattern of passing over the firstborn to the secondborn. Well, when he gets down to Esau, he sells his birthright. And part of that birthright, there's a blessing to it. But there's also a responsibility to it because they knew that was coming, something coming down the pike where the firstborn was going to crush Satan's head. That was the prophecy and that was part of the firstborn responsibility, or firstborn right. And he was selling that because he didn't value it. Uh, The Word of God says he despised his birthright. And so there was a passing over. But there was one that was not passed over, and that was Jesus Christ. And he was the one that would crush Satan's head. And he did, but there's another time when his body is going to crush Satan's head again. Only this time, his body is us. And so you see that the part of the priesthood, you see that the, he, he refers to this. When the Gentiles are coming into this in the book of Acts, there's this big problem. And it, there's a sect of the Pharisees that would go out to the Gentiles church and said, you need to be um, Jews, you need to be uh, circumcised and you need to follow the law of Moses. And Paul was saying, no, it's a different uh, covenant that's coming that, that the Gentiles, that God has with the Gentiles. Peter says, well, first of all, they have a big meeting in Jerusalem and they go to Jerusalem to discuss this very problem. And Peter says no they should not come under the law of Moses they should not have to be circumcised you know and uh, Paul also and Barnabas says their agreement to it and then James who is what is known as a set man he was the uh, pastor of Jerusalem James was actually the brother of Jesus who historically didn't believe in his brother until after the resurrection, but he was a devout Jew. And so these people that were being sent out, the set of the Pharisees, was being sent out from Jerusalem. So you would assume that James would say, well, no, they should become Jews because he, 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 he sent them out. But he had been in the word and he found out something and he disc- declares that the word of God agrees with what Peter and Paul and Barnabas has said. And that was going. I'm convinced that everybody was like, what, what, what? You know, bec- before that, there was no small dispute. And he says and he reframe, He refers back to Amos 9. And he says, and you can read this in in uh, act 15, verse 16. He says, because in Amos 9, it says that God is bringing the family, the Gentile family back into the fold in order to restore the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. Now he says Gentiles. You go back and read Amos nine eleven, and it says Edom. Edom was the nation of, the Esau formed and it says that he, that God is restoring the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and bringing Edom back in. why? Because he was the firstborn, and they 're restoring the blessing that he has sold, and we're and James calls it Gentiles no. so it says, we are being, that's why I say there's the restoration from the Jews, the Levites, back to the Gentiles. Because we're, we're Gentiles, we're not only Gentiles, but we are compared metaphorically to Edom, who is Esau. So you see all that. And part of the, now there's four themes. One is the priesthood. The other one is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And you know what that is when David brings the ark of the covenant back instead of back to the tabernacle of Moses he brings it back to his own the tabernacle which he pitched in Jerusalem where the ark of the covenant was kept and praise and worship for approximately, well for 49 years it went on around the ark of the covenant. And so there's in Amos 9 you can read it Amos 9:11 It says that the restoration of the tabernacle of David is to bring Eden back and the nations back to the family of God. And so we have been called. You know, I love the gospel. We should be a gospel-centered church. It's the good news. But when he preached the gospel, when he said that, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he says... To set at liberty those that are bruised To, to heal the broken hearted To preach the captives To the deliverance to the captives You know To open up the blind eyes And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord You see God The gospel Which is Jesus died for our sins He was raised again On the third day And he did that To save us by, by Him, believing in Him, and believing in that, receiving it, we, re, we get saved. But you see, the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel, God saved us for a purpose. You see, He saved us, that's what it says in, in 2 Timothy 1 9. He saved us and He's called us. And so we find it in Matthew 21 and 22, this purpose. The first purpose is the priesthood. Now, there are a number of things in in, uh, 1 Peter nine. It talks about we're a royal priesthood that we should show forth the praises of him. We're going to see some more about that in a minute. But I talked about uh, Ezekiel 22.30, which says, God says, I sought for a man who would make up the hedge, fill in the gap, stand in the gap. You know what that means? To be an intercessor for Israel in that particular case. And he says, and I've found none. And I think Harry made some reference that, well, he found one sometime later, Jesus Christ. But you say Jesus Christ is our high priest, which means, and he is the priesthood, not of the Levites, but of the order of Melchizedek which there is no beginning and no ending of the priest Melchizedek. Abraham tithed to the priest Melchizedek. And Jesus was of the order of Melchizedek. And so are we. Yeah. See, under his as a high priest, we are priests unto God. And just as Jesus is interceding right now, The Holy Spirit is interceding for us. But in heaven, it says Jesus is interceding before the Father constantly for us and for this world. And so we as priests, he is our high priest. We as priests have the same responsibility to to make up the hedge, to stand up the gap. And God is looking on the earth for a man that will do that and I'm not a not a singular man but the man of the body the body of the the Church of God so God we're called to intercede for this world we're called to intercede for one another we're called to intercede for the lost because Jesus came to save the lost but he came to save the lost for a purpose for a calling And part of that calling, the first thing we see is that he saved us to restore the priesthood to the Gentiles. And the second one is he saved us to rebuild the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. And the third one, he saved us, part of the responsibility of the priesthood, is to step on Satan's head. Jesus was the seed that came from woman. We are the seed that came from woman. We are the body of Christ. And our job is to step on Satan's head. Now, oh yeah, trample him down. Let's put up that Matthew 21, and we're going to read this, and then we're going to go into how everything is tied together. It, It just fits together better and better like a glove. It says, when they drew nigh to Jerusalem, there will come to Bethphage. I've been studying more about this Bethphage. It really is not a town or a city. It's just kind of a little encampment because there's no reference of it in the Old Testament, no reference of the, in the New Testament. After Bethphage means uh, city or house of unripened grapes, of unripened figs. And that's because, and you know, a lot of names on, got meanings Afterwards, in other words, the first person that was named that didn't necessarily, that name didn't mean that. Not all the time. A good example of that is Saul. King Saul. He had no, there was no previous meaning to his name. But after he was king, the name Saul meant ask, A-S-K-E-D, ask for. That's what it means. Why? Because the people asked for a king. And so Saul's name meant that. So when the, the apostle Saul, or the, before he was the apostle Paul, his name meant asked for. But his name was changed to Paul, which means small. And so that's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to Saul. That's what, what should have happened to King Saul. But it didn't. So, Bethphage's name, Beth has always meant house, even in the first language of Chaldeans, uh, meant house. And Bethphage means house of unripened figs because Jesus cursed the fig tree because it had unripened figs on it. It didn't have any figs on it. And he says, He drew nigh to come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives. And if you look at Bethany, it was just a very uh, short distance from Bethany, where he was coming from. And it's all right there at the Mount of Olives. He says, "Unto the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, and saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt colt with her. Loose them, and bring them to me. And if any man say aught to thee, You shall say, the Lord has need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt and put their clothes on him, clothes on them, and set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way, more than likely palm branches, because that was significant in another a festival that they would be saying these same things. And the multitudes that went before and their followed saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna comes from uh, uh, Psalm 118, verse 25, and it actually says, uh, uh, save now we beseech thee, O Lord. And save now we beseech thee, is uh, Yasha, save now, and beseech thee, Anna. And so the combination of the two is Yasha Anna, which the word Hosanna comes from. And so that's where it comes from. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, and who is this? Yeah, I'm surprised they don't know. Next verse, please. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Did I finish that? Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just, I really was watching, so I didn't know. And the blind and the lame came in the temple. And by the way, you know, well, let's go. The blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. Next verse, please. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple, and the reason that they were so upset about that is because that in the feast, that was their job to say Hosanna. That wasn't the people's job. And that's that's that subtle thing where the transfer is taking place to the priesthood. See now, the priesthood. When you say when you say Hosanna, you're saying, "Save us, okay? Save us. We beseech thee." That's a part of the intercession of the priest. And it says that when the chief priests saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased. And it wasn't just, but you can not you imagine that? For the wonderful things that he did. I don't, I, I, that, that kind of just, you know, I think they were more upset about the priest, the people saying Hosanna than they, but they were upset about it. It said they were. Now here's the next verse. Okay. Jesus said unto them, he, uh, no, they said unto them, here's what they say, and Jesus said unto them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? S- uh, Psalm 8. We're going to go to Psalm 8. All right, here's Psalm 8. And there it is. <laughs> okay. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of, Leave this verse up for a little while until I tell you to go on. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. You see the difference right there? Jesus said what? Perfected praise. All right. This says ordained strength. Uh, there's different opinion of why he said it. One person, I mean, some people think it's because he was quoting from the Septuagint instead of the Hebrew. Okay, and the and the Septuagint says perfected praise. Other people said he just changed it himself. Okay, who knows? It says ordained strength. Why? Because of thine enemies. That thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Now, did you did you see this part? All right. Now, when it says "step on Satan's head," that's a metaphor. Even when it says "sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool," it's a metaphor. You know, for example, it says that in in uh, Psalm seventy-eight, and it says. Jesus, and it's also a metaphor, by the way, smote him, smote them, smote the enemy in their hinder part. And it was all about the Ark of the Covenant doing that, which is a representation of Jesus Christ before it was brought back to the tabernacle of David. And it was in the land of the enemies, the Philistines, it says, and God smote them in their hinder part. You know what he smote them in their hinder parts with? Hemorrhoids. That's what it says. Read it. It says hemorrhoids. And they must have had them bad because, man, they sent that Ark of the Covenant back as fast. Mice and hemorrhoids. You know, he smote them in their hinder parts. In this particular case, it's saying he gave the devil hemorrhoids in his hinder. He smote them in the hinder part. So these are all metaphors. Now, did they smote him in their hinder part? Yes. He smote the Philistines in the hinder part. But when it's talking about Jesus sitting here at my right hand, and it's talking about here, uh, you know uh, Out of the mouths of baby soaking Thou hast perfected praise, ordained strength Because of thy midst that might is still the enemy and the avenger That word still means Make him shut up Now that Is more or less of a metaphor Because see But here's the metaphor A sea A sea's a going to come for a moment Going to crush your head And you're going to bruise his heel Literally, not literally, in the sense of that in the in the Hebrew, but literal meaning is a seed's going to come from woman, and he's going to shut your mouth. Amen. You see, because all you know in in uh, in Revelation, it talks about the dragon, and he opens his mouth, and frogs come out, and he's talking about the great dragon that you know goes on and talks about how. Uh, how he, how he uh, persecuted the saints and how, you know, the enemy, he has one weapon and it comes out of his mouth. All the weapons of God comes out of our mouths. Hello? Do you understand what this means? To shut his mouth. And this just gives it a simple thing. I don't care if you're just a baby, baby Christian. You can shut the enemy's mouth. How? Because it says, Jesus said, perfected praise. This says ordained strength. There is ordained strength in praise. And the ordained strength in praise. What was it? How did this? Well, we have to go back to how the psalm started. Oh, Lord. Our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. We praise the name of Jesus. You know, I'm not opposed to, you know, uh, invoking the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you. But I think what really brings the, uh, the power is praising the name of Jesus. So when we praise the name of Jesus, we shut his mouth and metaphorically step on his head and metaphorically make him the foot uh, footsteps or or the footstool of the body of Christ. We crush his head. That's how we do it. And we do it with the weapons of God and the weapons of God are released in the same way that the enemy releases them it's by this mouth frogs came out of his mouth the enemy's mouth and so the weapons that we have is with the mouth and so as the body of Christ we can shut his mouth I forgot to announce something Amen. it is my honor to announce to you that uh, John Higgins and Ruth Klein will enter into holy matrimony in October the sixth. Glad I remembered that. I knew there was something here that I remembered, <laughs> and so, so anyway. Now, now, I want you I want you. this is going to be so amazing right here. If you'll just let, this is, Jesus didn't quote that just so you could just use that verse. It's, it, you, you. everything that's said in the Bible is expected. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So we need to go and find out what he said in context and you, and it's in this psalm. And then you can see the layers of things that's in this, and it's, it's fabulous, right? So we'll go on. It says, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength, perfected praise because of thine enemies. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, he was probably thinking of people. He probably was, because that was his level, to, to his limit of understanding the, the enemy. The enemy is People. But when Paul comes along, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the powers in heavenly places, against the manifold wisdom of God. A manifold wisdom. Uh, we. Uh, I, I, there's another verse I want to get, and I'm, I, I almost went right into it. Okay, it says, Thou mightest still the enemy, shut his mouth, and the avenger. Next verse. This is going to get good. When I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon of the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Do you know what that word angels is? It's Elohim. Now that's used for angels sometime. Do you know what Elohim means? That's one of the names of God. Thou hast made him a little lower than God. Right? You, I mean, that's what the word is, Elohim, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Next verse, please. Thou hast made him. Okay, thou madest him to have dominion. You know what Adam's uh, commission was: go into all the world and subdue it. But he sold out to the devil And he didn't get that commission We got the commission Go into all the world, preach the gospel Disciple the nations We've got the commission We've got the dominion And here again, he's thinking Listen to this Over all the works of God's hands We have dominion Over all the works of God's hands and how do we exercise and how do we fulfill that the, the calling of that dominion? Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings I have perfected praise. Shut the mouth of the devil. Step on his head. Yeah. Thou has put all things under his feet. Yeah. Under man's feet. Now man, you know, blew it. Lost it. But we got to be... Jesus got it back for us. Got it back for him. We're his body. He got it back for him. You know, later on in Matthew uh, 21, 22, well, 22, he, he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. And he's using it for a purpose to say, uh, who, was this, who was the Messiah the son of? And they said, well, son of David. And he says, well, how then as David's son, how then as David says to the Messiah, his, my, he says, my Lord, he calls him Lord. And then he quotes that, he says at verse, sit here at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And then in Hebrews, it says it again. And he says, sit here at my right hand until I'm at... And that is referring to after the resurrection. Now, you know, there's a there's something I just saw this the other day. I, actually, you know, just two days ago, two days ago. I tell I told everybody I love to watch those Jesus movies. I, I get into them and they're just bits and pieces of them. I just watch over and over again because I love it so much. And I never saw this before. I don't know why. But when Jesus was, you know, Charlton Heston, he was a Christian, Charlton Heston. And when Charl- Charlton Heston plays John the Baptist, and he baptized Jesus, and Jesus moves off. And I, and I told you, I, I, you hear him as Jesus is climbing the mountain to be tempted of the devil, and he's, he's, he's climbing, and you can hear. Charlton Heston, and and I I said this one time, you can hear him say, every mountain shall be brought low, every valley shall be filled. You know, and he's quoting verses out of Isaiah. And I never noticed this before, but I noticed that before that, I I don't know, I I can't believe I missed this. Charlton Heston is screaming, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of Glory shall come in. That's quoting Psalm 22. Uh, Psalm 24. You know, Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. Not Psalm. Yeah, Psalm 22 is about the crucifixion. Psalm 23 is why. And Psalm 24 is about the resurrection. Well, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I was reading uh, some, some uh, references by Chuck Smith. And those that same verse is going to be used again when Christ comes in the clouds, which we're the clouds, or we're the cloud, when He comes in the cloud for Jerusalem, for Israel, and it's going to be again where He uses that East Gate, and it's going to be us that shouts again, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and let the King of glory come in. But you see, Charlton Heston. Is quoting is quoting that scripture in Psalm twenty four? Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be and it's like the King is coming, Christ is coming, and I'm like, so it's a multiple layered. It's multiple layered. It's it, and I and I like yeah, Amen. That Psalm applied to Jesus coming to the you know into ministry in the world in in Israel. And then it applied to him being in the resurrection. And then it's going to apply again. And there's multiple layers. I just think that's incredible. <laughs> and he says, now it's put all things under his feet, that under our feet. They're under our feet, you know, metaphorically. Which means we can shut his mouth. What does he say? What does the devil say? Everything he says is based upon one premise. God is a liar everything hath God said to he says to Adam and Eve everything he does is based upon God God is a liar he did that with Adam and Eve and then in first John he says the same thing that all temptation comes by either pride of life lust of the flesh or lust of the eye pride of life lust of the flesh or lust of the eye Three things. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. Pride of life, lust of the flesh, and lust of the eye. And that's how that's what that is his strategy right there. And it all begins with, hath God said he is a liar. Well, I'll tell you something. Satan is the father of all lies. And when we, the first place, the the first thing that we have to do to shut his mouth is to say, you're the liar. You know, I love that song that's played on the radio, on Christian radio, fear is a liar. Fear, he is a liar. And I love that song. We can shut his mouth with praise and worship. Is that the last verse? Okay. All sheep oh no it's not. I know what the I know what the last verse is All sheep and oxen under his feet and again this is all true but you see what really matters is they didn't understand it when he David didn't understand when he wrote this psalm that he's not talking about sheep and oxen and goats I mean that that's important okay he's talking about the darkness of this world the principalities of this world the the, the rulers of darkness We, they are all under our feet. Sheep and oxen, beast of the field. Next verse. The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the pass of the sea. Our Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to look at one last verse and this is it. There's so many things that that fit this. I just want to, I I was meditating on these verses. We're going to go to Ephesians, the third chapter. Eh, And I'm not sure about the verse. I think it's, eh, try the 11th verse. I know that'll be close. Okay, make it the 10th verse. I'm sorry. Okay, all right, now, Paul is, before this verse, says that God has shown him to share with the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say this, to the intent. You know, that this is God's intention. God has this intention for your life, no matter who you are, no matter how young you are, how old you are, how feeble you are. It doesn't matter. God has this intention for you, and He has this intention for us as the body of christ and what is it that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places you know this this is this, this includes everything this includes everything this principalities and powers in the heavenly places you know it talks about uh, Satan as the power uh, as the as the Prince of the power of the air, right? This air is is a a heavenly place. There's layers of heavenly places. And this is one of the first, the atmosphere is one of the first ones. And Satan is the prince of the power of the air, it says. And so he roams in this place. So when it says, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's the first place. It's everything before Satan. God has an intention that is demonstrates something before Satan but he's not that's not the only heavenly places it goes up in layers and there are other angels and principalities in in those heavenly places and he says God has an intention basically before the entire universe before the entire heavenly body before every angel in heaven before every Every creature of God God has this intention To do this That it says the powers in heavenly places Might be known By the church Says what is It's God's intention That There's something that might be known By the church to demonstrate It to the entire universe And it's By the church you see that Yes, it's by each individual because for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, but he's talking about the church here. It says that might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God wants to demonstrate his wisdom, his manifold wisdom before the entire universe through us. We are now engaged. Actually, we are engaged in a great trial. Satan's trial. We are also engaged in a great purpose of God. Now, why did I say that? It, have you been studying John 14, 15, 16? You, you get in 16, verse 7. You know what it says? It's, it says, uh, let's, I said I was... Well, I'm going to go to the next, let's go to the next verse. Then I'm going to go to, I got to share that next verse, according to the eternal purpose. You see what I was just talking about wasn't big enough to be doing it from the, in front of the whole universe, but it was according to God's eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I know I could talk about this word purpose forever, but it's that the Greek word prothesis. And if you put them to what uh, the preface is pro and the thesis is God. God's holy purpose is for God. God's purpose for your life is for him. You see, for him to de- not only demonstrate his manifold wisdom, but for his glory. All right now, we're going to go to uh, uh, John fourteen sixteen. I mean, verse seven. And I'm going to show you this. We'll we'll end with this. This, I really promise this time. I'm not kidding. I hope. Uh, Okay. Nevertheless, I tell you that I go away. It is expedient for you that I go away. You know what expedient means to our advantage? They didn't think so. But it's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, if I depart, I will send the Comforter to you. That's the Holy Spirit, in case you didn't know. Next verse. And when He is come, the Holy Ghost, when He came down, baptized us in fire, when He is come, He's going to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Next verse. Of sin. Because they did not believe on me. Of, next verse, of righteousness because I go to my father and you don't see me anymore. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. We're to reprove the world and the the major thing is the judgment. We are now engaged in the greatest trial that ever was. And the trial is basically when Satan uh, was in heaven and he was kicked out. And then when he con- corrupted Adam, there was this trial that was about to begin. And the trial was, is God is right. God is, uh, is good. Satan is evil. Satan is wrong. And we're the jury. And we're bringing back a great verdict, Satan, you're guilty, and he's to be cast into the pit. Do you understand what that? that, What's that? What that? That's what that's just said, and that's what he was talking about. Shutting. That's what. That's what stepping on his head is all about. Is proclaiming a guilty verdict against Satan. I mean, it's so big. It just, and it's according. To the eternal purpose Which he purposed in Christ Jesus Our Lord you know, And we just dilly dally With so many things That are just don't mean anything And I, I'm not laying some guilt trip On you I, not any more than me Boy It's time to get serious it's time to Quit playing games We're involved in a great war You know we're an army There's so many metaphors But it's to to bring truth. Hello? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May we rise to the occasion. May we begin to see ourselves as you see us. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We worship you and praise the name of Jesus. How great and excellent is your name, Lord Jesus. How great and excellent is your name, Heavenly Father. And we praise that name. And we submit ourselves to you. Lord, you want to judge Satan? Here we are. Lord, we can't do it. But that you sent, you said, I know that's why I sent the Holy Ghost to help you. The Holy Ghost to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thank you, Lord, for that. Hallelujah. May we have the proper response in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.